So one can argue that the toughest job of a product manager is actually doing the discovery work. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in this episode. You will learn about the different types of product discovery, some of the challenges that you'll be facing, and some strategies and tactics to tackle those. Now, my guest today is Saeed Khan. Saeed has worked in software for over 30 years and in product management for over 20. His uh, first PM role was back in 1997, actually, and he has worked in product management since then, both in Canada and States, in the startups and uh, also public companies. He was a co-founder of Product Camp Toronto and also founded the Product Leaders Meetup, an international meetup for senior product directors and VPs alike. Currently, he runs Transformation Labs, which is a consulting and advisory firm that helps companies in areas of strategy, road mapping, launch, and of course, discovery. Said provides training, mentoring, and workshops to help companies build better products and better product organizations. So get ready, guys, for a fun chat today with Said Khan on challenges of product discovery. Hey, I'm your host, Cyrus Shirazian, and welcome to PM Hub Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing you fresh and unique insights from product leaders and tech entrepreneurs. Hey, welcome to PM Hub. Hey, thank you very much, Cyrus. Yeah, it's great to have you today, and uh, I'm very excited to talk about you know the challenges of product discovery with you. Um, Said, you've been around for a while, but I guess for those uh, folks out there who don't know too much about you, I'd love to, uh, for you if you can kind of take some time and tell us a bit more about your journey into product and how that evolved over the years. Sure. Um, well, let's go way back. Uh, I worked in software for about 30 years, uh, which is you know a long time ago. I, I graduated in university and worked in software. And then I worked in a bunch of software companies, not as a product manager. Uh, one of the companies way back was a company called Alias research, which is a 3D graphics company here in Toronto. Um, and, you know, it's funny, uh, they, they they hired a product manager way back uh, to kind of help them with their product. And he did some really amazing things. It was really great being in that company and seeing sort of how a good product manager functions and the value they can provide. Um, and then I worked at a couple other companies in Toronto. I won't name them, <laughs> but uh, the product managers weren't as good. And so... I, I also saw how not to, you know, be a good product manager. Um, you know, one company resembled Dilbert more often than it should have. Um, but I got my first product management job uh, back in 97 at a company here in Toronto called KL Group. And I was a product manager for a couple of product lines. Um, they were doing mostly developer tools and, and, and components. It was in the Java kind of space. And... Um, and so, you know, I got to put put some of those learnings from those previous companies into uh, into my role uh, as, as a product manager there. And, and what was really interesting about that job, to be honest, and it, I've never had th- that level of responsibility, was that not only were we obviously helping build better product, but we were responsible for uh, marketing. So we had a marketing budget. We, we could allocate it. Uh, I had some control, not much, but some control over headcount. Um, I was really working closely with sales. Um, this is, of course, in a time when we were still shipping boxes of product, you know, to, to, to customers. And so there was a whole production side of it. So I got a really great holistic view of product management. And we also did product marketing because we didn't have product marketing managers. 
And so it was sort of like everything in one job and, and, and really getting to go down deep in the numbers and so on and pricing and all that. So it was a really great experience as my first product manager job. It was hard. I'll be honest, it was really hard, but I think I learned lessons there that, that still kind of keep with me today. And I had some great managers as well. So that really helped. Um, I moved to California in 2000, worked in several, couple of startups, went to work for a company called Informatica, which is now, well, it's, it's a private company now. It was public when I joined, but they went private a few years ago. Um, and then since then, I've worked in some other companies. And then I, I've been doing consulting uh, for as a product management consultant for the last few years. Very cool. Very cool. Wow. Such a, such a long journey to product. And that's awesome. So I guess moving on to the topic itself, say like, let's, let's take it from the top. What is, what is product discovery to you and why does it matter? Um, well, product discovery itself, it, it's a big topic, right? Because it covers almost any kind of research or, or work to find out, you know, information about customers or users or your market. Um, competitors, etc. But you know, the goal is really to understand the market or understand customers and user problems, and then identify the opportunities that are are, are relevant to your company, um, and then dig deeper and you know define and develop and deliver the products that that uh, come out of that. So um, it's important because it's it's fundamental. Uh, you know, you 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 have to go find these problems, right? The, they're not going to come to you, and and certainly if if you're responding only to say customer requests, right? Uh, first of all, that that wouldn't be discovery; that would be responding. But secondly, you're always going to be lagging, right? You're going to be hearing the things that people are needing right now, but you won't be finding the new needs and the new market opportunities. So it's 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 really fundamental to any business. You know, every company starts that way in the sense that. You know, they see some need or some opportunity and they fulfill it, but then you can't stop. You have to continue that because we live in a dynamic world. There's new new changes that are happening, new market conditions. And, uh, and, and the other side of it is, you know, we don't do it well in most companies. There's no formal training in school or, you know, in, in, in companies as well. So it, it's a fundamental thing. Uh, it can deliver great value. It's hard to do. And very few people are educated in, in, in a good way. So I think it's really important, and, and it's really important to do well. Yeah, no, that was that was a that was a great intro into it. Now, what are different types of uh, product discovery from what you've done and what you know? Um, so different types. So I, I guess it depends how you want to think about it, right? Um, you know, from a formal sense, there's two main types, if you want to call it that. So one. You know, if you're talking, say, to a, a years of experience person, um, they, they would talk about generative research or exploratory research, right? And then the other one is evaluative research, right? So, so generative is where you're literally exploring, right? You're 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 discovering things, you're going out and learning, you're trying to expand your knowledge on a broad domain or a specific domain, and and you, you're trying to just learn, right? So Maybe you're trying to look for a new market opportunity or a new product opportunity, and you go out there and you you maybe have a hypothesis or some some data that you you you're using, and then you'll go interview, let's say, you know, customers or people in certain roles or influencers or other people. Um, you might do some other fundamental research, etc. 
and then you'll you'll create a perspective or a picture of of a market or market opportunity um, and that's generative research it's in, it's it's exploratory it's expanding your knowledge in a certain area and then you're trying to sort of get a clear picture of what might be out there and it's a bit of a treasure hunt in the sense that you don't know where it's going to lead you you know you you're, you're interviewing customers or, or or partners or whatever you're trying to learn and maybe you'll find some really important maybe you won't right if you're looking for a new market opportunity same thing like sometimes you think you're onto something but you realize oh well it's not really a big problem um so it's hard. It's really hard because it, it's it's very sort of subjective in some ways. You might not miss you might miss some signals or some data points, or you might not connect certain dots. Um, and and so it, it's something that that's a real challenge. So anyway, that's the generative side. And then evaluative or validating research is really more kind of um, focused. It's something like, hey, we we know there's a need out there. We we understand something is really important. Let's go learn about that specific thing um, and, and learn about in detail so that we can build a product or build some features or functionality around it um, or, or use that in some other way. It's not always about, you know, building product. But, you know, that one is much more focused and you're really trying to narrow in on something specific. So, hey, we know that security is a big problem, you know, for people. Let's go understand their security concerns and, you know, figure out how we're going to address them. So that would be an example of, evaluative research right and the thing is that when you when you when you do research you're not going to do only one or only the other right like you'll you'll, mm -hmm. you'll do that first generative research and expand your view and then you'll identify some possible opportunities and then you'll do some uh evaluative research to learn more about those particular opportunities right um i don't know if you ever seen the design thinking double diamond yeah, I was going to say. That, that's that's exactly what it is. You know, you expand and you you sort of focus in the problem space and you expand again and you focus in the in the solution space. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing I'll say is that, you know, again, depending on how people want to slice it, like, and, and, and not that these are mutually exclusive, but there's also quantitative and obviously qualitative research. And, and you know, you'll do those at different times and different places where appropriate, right? So, it's really a, a question of when you say, you know, what are the kinds of research, um, you know, different people look at different ways. Right. Yeah. It's really like those, you know, kind of like the, uh, the unknown unknowns kind of piece where you kind of like yes. you're trying to really get those. Yeah. I love that. So who should be part of, I guess a big question for product teams out there, who should be technically part of this discovery work and how does it change depending on the product, you know, let's say B2B or B2C and stage of the company, you know, startup versus enterprise? Yeah, so that's, that's there's a lot there. Um, so who should be part of discovery? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll narrow this down a bit. So if, let's say you're in a, in a kind of a, an established company or even a, a startup, um, you're looking for new market opportunities, let's say, or or some big new product area. Um, ideally, it's best to get a mix of people. Uh, so, you know, the classic example is to have, say, product management, UX, and engineering uh, directly involved. If you're doing some kind of, you know, machine learning or AI, get someone from the data science team as well involved. Um, and, and the reason you want to do that is a couple of reasons, right? So first of all, no single person will have the full perspective uh, 
you know, when they're doing the research. So as a product manager, you know, I'm, I'm focused on certain things. As a UX person, I'm focused on certain things, et cetera. Um, and so it's always good to have a small team uh, because as you're doing your research interviews or whatever, uh, the questions and the understanding and the interpretation can come uh, from from all directions, right? I think that's really important. And then the other side of it is that uh, you, you, you want to get as much firsthand information to the team as possible. So it's not a case of say, and I've, I've done this, I, you know, not, not recently, but a long time ago, where the product manager goes out and does all the research and comes back. And even if they have like the most amazing detailed report and everything, it's, it's still a big chore to then take all that knowledge and bring it and internalize it. And, and you may have missed something. You may have missed things from different people's perspectives. So, so that, that team concept helps in sort of broadening the kinds of uh, questions and research you'll do and getting the different perspectives. And then also uh, making it much easier to assimilate and internalize that information uh, in the company. And I think both of those things um, are really important if you want to take that knowledge and leverage it in, in sort of uh, really, you know, productive ways. Right. Yeah. Right on. And then I guess I'm curious to know from your experience, like, have you seen like uh, between like, you know, the B2B and B2C and also startup and enterprise, like which ones have you seen kind of like product discovery kind of like happening more and kind of like uh, more prevalent, if you will, between those? Uh, I, I ask it because I know like uh, I, I've been in enterprise and I know it's not quite as, as uh, uh, you know, welcomed in a way versus startups. So I'm curious to hear from your thoughts as well. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So, I mean, my background has been primarily B2B as well. Um, you know, the people who I've worked with who've done B2C work, um, many of them said, wow, you know, this is great. You can actually talk to your customers <laughs> in a B2B world because often it's much harder to get direct contact in B2C because you have so many customers and, you know, how do you, how do you really get connected? You don't really know them so much, whereas in B2B, you're in much closer contact. So um, I, I would say that I can talk to the B2B side, you know, quite a bit. On the B2C, I mean, if I went to work for a B2C company, I would just use the same approach I use in B2B. It's talk to as many people as you can that, you know, in terms of making sense, understand the dynamics of, you know, who they are, what role they play. You know, I always I always was jealous of the B2C folks, to be perfectly honest, because I thought, <laughs> And I, you know, in B2B, you've got buyers and you've got influencers, you've got, you know, multiple types of users and you've got all this complexity that you have to deal with. Um, sales. Sorry? Sales and customer success. Yes. Yes. All these teams as well. Exactly. Whereas in B2B, you know, and again, I'm, I'm an outsider, so I may be naive about it, but, uh, you know, yeah, you got like the person who buys is the person who uses it. And, you know, it's pretty straightforward who you're talking to, et cetera. I mean, I know that's not always true, but. But I always thought, yeah, the B2C world seems so simple. But then when I talked to B2C folks, they were like, oh, no, no, it's really complex. You don't understand. Um, huh. In terms of the size of the company, so I, I hear what you say about, like, larger sort of enterprise companies. Um, and I think that one, it's really a question of culture. So startups, absolutely, you're, you're much closer to customers. You're much closer to the individual transactions and so on. Uh, maybe your relationships are much closer. 
Um, in larger companies, you may become further from it, but you know, I've heard of large companies that that have that. And I'll say this, Informatica, which is a company I worked at for quite a while, um, we were pretty good. I mean, I, it depended on the product manager and how much you pushed, but but we we had access to customers, and I I built some great customer relationships over the years. Some some of those people actually became friends. Um, and so I think I think it's really a question of the culture in a sense that does the company really value discovery and really value sort of understanding customer problems, or are they more of say a sales-driven company where it's not as as sort of value, viewed as valuably? Um, I, I would say that more companies today are realizing the value of of discovery and allowing that, but I still hear product managers who say, yeah, we, we're not allowed to talk to customers directly. We always have to go through sales. And I, I I feel sorry for them, but I also feel sorry for those companies because at some point it catches up with you. And and, yeah. and, and it's hard to sustain that, um, you know, without really getting good, accurate, firsthand information. And, and you know, uh, people talk about that. Well, sales is always talking to customers. And it's like, yeah, they are. But they're talking to them on a transactional level and they're talking yeah. to from a very different context, right? Yeah. Uh, and you know, the example I use is, it's actually a B2C example, but imagine you're selling uh, like dog food, okay? Right. And, and, and you're talking to the pet owner and you never like find out what dogs want, right? Now, so you're only going to get a certain perspective of it. And it's always going to be indirect. Like the dog owner can tell you, well, my dog likes this, but he doesn't like that. But I'm not sure about this. But if you if you could connect with the dog in some way, you know, give them samples and see which ones they prefer, or figure things out. I mean, you get a whole different perspective. And and that's the way I kind of look at the, uh, you know, these companies where they say, oh, you only have to go through sales because you know, you're going through sales and you're only talking to people that they're talking to. Those aren't the people who are going to use the product necessarily. Those aren't the people who are going to answer the questions that product managers need. So I think I think it's really important for companies to realize that, that, you know, talking to customers, quote, quote, uh, doesn't just mean literally talking to customers. It means, yeah. you know, really building relationships, understanding what they're doing and really being empathetic towards their needs. Um, I think that's a huge, uh, you know, benefit if you can actually get to that state. Yeah, no, I love that. Now, I guess coming to the, the pandemic days, these days, distributed teams, remote teams and everything else. How have you seen discovery evolve, uh, you know, since we all went kind of online and remote? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good question. And I, I, I'm in a weird situation in that. Even when I was working, uh, before I started consulting, I was remote, so to speak. So I was based in Toronto. I still am based in Toronto, but I was working for a California company. Um, and what was really funny was, you know, no matter when I went traveling, like even here in Toronto, I remember we had a big customer here in Toronto, a big, big bank. And uh, I went downtown and I, I had a meeting and it was just going to be like a, a kind of a discovery meeting with them. And I walked in and like, they're like, oh, okay, great, you're here. Can you hold on a sec? We have to dial in some people. <laughs> it's just like, oh, where are they? Uh, Vancouver. <laughs> so, 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 you know, we live in that world where everything is distributed and yeah. it's hard to 
you know, get face to face or or face to face with everyone. Um, and so I think I think this idea of remote. Uh, you know, we have to think of it. I, I use the word distributed versus remote because like who's remote? Am I remote here in Toronto or are they remote over there in Vancouver? Right. Right. But but I think that. Uh, and the pandemic, I think so the pandemic has put some uh, pressure and some rules on us that are unnatural. Right. In the sense that, you know, I, I'm not even going downtown to sit in the office with the customer and, you know, them connecting to Vancouver like we're all you know, distributed 100%. Um, right. and, and that'll go away, I think. I think we'll return to some, uh, you know, reasonable version of the past, whatever you want to call it. But I think the distributed nature will will remain and, and it will not, uh, you know, go back to whatever it was before. I think we'll, we'll, you know, we'll meet some people face-to-face and we'll meet some people, you know, online in, in whatever ways. Um, so I think I think the, the pandemic has, has changed things, but it hasn't changed things in that sense because the distribution was there pre-pandemic. Um, I think the things that have, have become hard, right? Like quite honestly are, you know, the, the face-to-face, you know, say ethnographic research or observational research where you want to go and you want, you want to go and be in their environment and see what they're doing and, you know, watch them do their work and ask them questions and, you know, maybe talk to the person next to them and understand what they do and so on. I did a bit of that, uh, you know, in previous years. And, and, and it was always valuable because getting in the context of how they work is really important sometimes when you see the limitations of their environment, not just, you know, of their software. Um, and, and then the other side, I, I think, though, that, you know, maybe on the plus of the pandemic is that it's completely accelerated um, tools and just approaches to working in a distributed manner, right? So, and I'm not talking about just Zoom or something like that, but there've been a lot of tools that have come out like Mural and Miro and other tools that, you know, allow people to collaborate and do things, you know, over distance that we didn't have pre-pandemic. I mean, I know those companies have been around for a while. Like it's not like they suddenly appeared, but their adoption of these yeah. other tools has happened, you know, very rapidly over the last year. Um, and, and I think that will stay. I think, I think that, you know, will stay to some extent that uh, we're going to just be much more comfortable uh, being distributed and connecting with each other and using tools like that uh, to, to, to work. I mean, I, it's funny, in, in February of this year, uh, I gave a talk in Buffalo Right. And I drove, I drove down there and, and it was great. I mean, the, the people there was a product tank Buffalo and uh, the, they were wonderful people. And, and uh, the talk was in the evening. I got there around noon and we went and had lunch and then they showed me around their companies. And, you know, it was really nice to see like, you know, cause I, you don't think of Buffalo as like a high tech hub, but there, there are some right. really cool little companies there. Um, and, and there was one, one uh, company we visited it was a bank and it's like a, a regional bank in New York state. And man, I was, I was amazed at like the number of like whiteboards and the amount of sticky notes that were on the wall. And, you know, I saw people standing around them and they were doing stuff. And, and, and I just, I want to take a picture of it just because it was, I've never seen a, a, such a concentration of, of that in any company. Like these guys were really like, you know, working in a really efficient way. And, 
And I thought, man, what happened to all those whiteboards come March? <laughs> right. Because, like, you know, I'm pretty sure they weren't going into the office like everyone else. So, so I think they adapted, and I'm pretty sure they adapted the same way everyone's adapted. And, and uh, you know, post-pandemic, they'll return to their office, but they'll probably still do a lot of that distributed work. Um, yeah. Like what you hear so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast has been made possible by listeners like yourself, and I'm thankful for your support. Now, let's head back to the show. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, thanks for elaborating on that. Now, I guess let's move moving on to the kind of like the challenges. Like, well, we know product discovery is the toughest job of a product manager and the product team itself. I'm curious to know from your experience, what are the top challenges that you've seen product teams struggle with? Uh, and what are some kind of strategies you would recommend uh, them to kind of like, you know, overcome these challenges? Yeah. You know, let me say this before I answer the question. I, 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 I ran a beta. I ran a couple of betas actually years ago and they were really hard and they were really hard uh, for a number of reasons. But one of them was that so much in the beta is out of your control, right? Like when you you're just recruiting the people to participate and then, you know, the software may not be completely ready and then, you know, how they interact with the software and what they do and how much time they spend and all that. So much is out of your control. And yet there there are these clear outputs and outcomes you, you want to get from the beta. And I wrote an article, uh, this is like more than 10 years ago, maybe maybe 15 years ago. I wrote an article saying that, yeah, beta is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and then and then you know what I, after that i did a lot of discovery work it's like no discovery is hard it's harder than beta. <laughs> and, that's hilarious but, but it's harder for the same reasons though um in that so much is out of your control right so as much as you can go and try and find the right customers the right people to talk to and you know really have good questions and whatnot and, and especially if you're doing like the generative work and you're really trying to find some real new market opportunities, um, not only can you not control what what information you get back, but you know it's it's like a it's like this treasure hunt kind of in the dark. Like you're going, okay, we're going to go over here and we're going to do this. Okay, now we're going to go over here, and you you can see a little bit ahead, a little bit ahead, a little bit ahead, but you can't really see that the the exact target you're you're getting to. Um, and, right. and, and there's so many other challenges. So, you know, I think the first big problem that most people face when you ask them, you know, like, what's your biggest challenge in doing, you know, really good discovery? Um, the answer is, I don't have time. I don't have time to do it. I got a full-time job. I'm, I'm doing all this other stuff. <laughs> no. and, and, and in a way, it, it saddens me to hear that because this is really important fundamental work, right? So how do you make the time or how is your management going to help you make the time um and, and a lot of companies don't see this important right they, they they're like hey you know what you got whatever sprints to complete or you know features to to deliver or something like that um you know this is the old feature factory kind of mindset where you've got you know all these inbound requests you know from sales or from support or or whatever and you're you're, you're reacting to them and and quite honestly, 
that's the life of a lot of people who work in product. And, and so if you say to them, go out and, you know, do some research, they're like, I can't. Uh, I, I have a story I tell, and, and it's funny because I, I told it to a group of people who are exactly in this situation. And I tried to impart how important it is to do that. And they said, you know, years and years ago, I was working in a company and, um, you know, we, we had this big new area we wanted to research. Uh, and I went out, we had a couple of UX people and uh, one person from professional services. And I forget who else, there's four or five of us. And we spent the better part of a quarter out talking to partners. And we, it's one, I used to live in California for a while. So it's when I lived in California and we went, you know, in different parts of the country. And I think we met some customers in New York and we went to a partner in Florida and whatnot. And, and and then we uh, we came back and we had we we put all the research together and all our findings and we shared it and not only you know did this help influence our product roadmap for quite a while like probably eighteen months but marketing used some of that information right away and sales used it and it was it was great it was so amazing to see how valuable that effort was. And 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 then one of the people looked really like just I don't know they had a very strange look in their face and I said what's the matter I, you look puzzled and and she said yeah I could never get out of the office for three months and and you know what's funny was all of them were thinking that like like they didn't they didn't the part of the story that impressed on them was you you got out of the office <laughs> as opposed to you did all that research work um and so i think that's the that's the big problem uh that you see right it's it's about finding those unmet needs and and committing to it and having a culture from management that says yeah this is important we're going to help make time we're going to put that in the job description we're going to make sure that you know we're not just being reactive we're being proactive um, and you know what's funny, you know, you know, there's a joke like, you know, you're you're out camping with a bunch of friends, and then you know a bear comes and then it starts chasing you, and how fast do you have to run? You know, you, you ever heard that joke? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> so you know, like, do you have to be the fastest runner? No, you just can't be the slowest runner. That's it. Yeah. And and, and I think it's the same with discovery, right? You don't have to, like, if you can't get out for a quarter or, you know, three months, don't get out for three months. But don't be the slowest person doing discovery. Don't be the ones who are, you know, not doing it at all and, and being completely reactive. And and I think the, the, the upside of this for companies is that, quite honestly, a lot of companies are, are that slowest runner. They're not doing it. They're not, they're not putting a focus on it. So the bar is really low to get ahead of your competition. Um, and, and, and you start there and then you say, okay, you know what, we, we did a little bit of it. Let's do more of it. Let's do more of it. And then you become a, a real kind of learning company where it's ingrained in your culture that, yeah, we are going to be a company that does this proactive work and this is how we get competitive advantage. So I think, I think there's huge value, but I think that time factor is one of the biggest reasons, right? That one of the biggest problems, sorry. And you just have to, you have to figure out how to get your management to, really understand that, you know, maybe it's baby steps, maybe it's finding allies, maybe there's, you know, hey, our competitors are doing it, we should too, you know, that that approach has worked in some cases. Um, 
Right. But you have to kind of make that change happen. And, and, and there's just so much goodness that comes out of it once you start doing it. So, yeah. so that's challenge one. Um, I think the second challenge, and I mentioned it earlier uh, in the discussion, is that um, we're not trained in it. Most of us aren't trained in this. We don't have a formal background in how to do really good eva evaluative or generative research, right? I mean, some people do. Uh, I, I, I feel somewhat fortunate in that, um, that that project I mentioned, the one where I went out for three months, it was led by the UX people, right? So, in fact, I learned from them how to do this work. And we spent like three months doing it. So it's not like we did it for two days and that was it. Like we, were, we weren't out of the office for three months, but we were focused on that both in and out of the office. And so I, I got this really great sort of training on it. And, uh, uh, and, and they were great. I, I, I'll, I'll mention names. There's Barry and Janine. I, I, I remember this, them to this day. Uh, they were really great. They were really good mentoring, you know, sort of mindset. And, and we did a lot of really good work. And so I, I you know, this is many, many years ago, but I, I got that background and I've, I've leveraged that quite often. And I've learned over the years as well. I wasn't perfect when I started, but I think that's the second part of it that's hard, which is that, you know, how do you how do you know who to talk to? How do you identify what your what your research goal should be? How do you create really great questions? How do you then do the analysis, right, and pull out the the, the real signals and the real nuggets of information that you can then create and use for insights and then make decisions on, etc. Like like it's not just hey we went out and we talked to a bunch of people we're done. It's there's this whole flow that really needs to be understood. And then how do you leverage that internally? Because let's say you go out and you do all this research, you come back, you have all this really great insight, you know, but the rest of the company doesn't see it as important. Hmm. You're kind of lost, right? So, so I, think, I think there's that whole sort of systemic view of it that needs to happen. And then as you do more and more of it, you improve over time. Um, uh, so that's another big problem I, I, I see. And I think that one, it's tied to the first one, but right. you know, it's, it's still, it, there's a real skill in doing really good quantitative research and really good qualitative research. Um, and then the, the other thing I've seen, which is a challenge, even in companies that are promoting it is, you know, getting that, those insights it, disseminated into the company. So as, as we talked about earlier, you want that cross-functional team. You know, you want product, you want UX, engineering, you know, data science, etc. You want, you want those people in. Now, it's one thing to go out as a team and go and do all that research and hear all that stuff firsthand, but then how do you bring all of that in and get it conveyed to executives who have certain perceptions? Get it conveyed to the other teams who, you know, didn't hear everything firsthand. And so aren't going to have the same sort of connection with the research as you have. Um, how do you make that happen? And I think that's still a big challenge. I see it. I see it in the work I do with my clients. Um, uh, you know, I, I work with product managers who are doing this research and and I see the struggle they have in conveying that insight over to, uh, you know, the other parts of the company. And, and it's not just, hey, here's a big hundred page research report. All right. You know, it's done. Right. Like, right. How, how do you really distill everything down and, and deliver it in, in, in the ways that people will connect? Cause some people 
will read a hundred page research report and, you know, bless them. Right. But other right. people won't. And, you know, that's fine too. So how do you, how do you get the right information to the right people with the right level of, of detail, et cetera, so they can then, you know, uh, assimilate it and, and help move forward. And I, I don't know what the solution is there. Um, I, I will say that people are working on it. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard of Teresa Torres, but she's, uh, yeah. She's a consultant in the U.S. and so she she's you know she focuses on discovery and I think her opportunity solution tree uh, is a pretty good example of you know a way to try and address that problem. I think I don't know if it solves it completely, but you know I think we need more models like that and more sort of structures to help people connect disparate ideas and then help visualize as well some of this because it's very complicated, right? So how do you how do you internalize it? You can read a lot, so you can visualize things, you can analyze things, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that's, that's you know, if we want to talk about three challenges, that's the other one. So, you know, the time to do it, I think, you know, that sort of learning company and the culture and the ability to do it well, right? So the skills. And then finally, this ability, once you've done all that, to get it into the company and disseminated and, and understood so that, you know, different groups really can leverage it, right? Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think, and as a, in a big company, it's even harder, obviously, because there's just more layers of, you know, sort of noise, so to speak, in the company. Yeah, no, those are really uh, good points you point out there. Number one, uh, you mentioned time to do it. I remember I had um, actually a, a product lead at Google uh, not too long ago on the show, and then he was talking about uh, like how he goes about the research and the discovery. And I was amazed that he was saying in Google, like one in five under teams are actually researchers. They put a heavy focus, like uh, like heavy, super heavy focus on research. And every time they take engineers and once they do it, they record it. And pretty much everybody on the product team, especially the product manager, watches these recordings and everything multiple times. And they just like go through it. And I was just amazed by how much they invest. And obviously, like you don't see the ROI on these times that they spend on the dollars that you pay these staff right away. But obviously, it's an investment. Like you mentioned, product discovery is something that you have to invest in it to see it. And that's why you have something like, you know, obviously a Google company out there uh, that they're, they're taking that approach. Right. But I can see for a lot of startups uh, like, you know, my friends I talk with and, you know, they're, like you said, you know, they're delivery managers, they're backlog administrators, they're just shipping features and they want to do product. They want to solve problems, but they just don't have the time to do it. Right. So uh, I think it's the, the kind of structure of the company, the size of it. And also, even if they are product, they want to be product led, but what if they don't have time, they have to ship and they can't afford to hire a delivery manager uh, to come in and kind of like help them on that side of it and like, you know, help with the backlog. Right. So there's a lot comes into it. Right. Yeah, no, it is. It, there's a lot that comes to do. I, I didn't know that about Google and the sort of, you know, dedicated people like that. I always thought, you know, Google, this is the, maybe it's the old Google where you had 20% of your time is sort of scheduled for your own projects. I, I thought, wow, like maybe that's where, you know, everyone has time to do research. Um, yeah. But, but you know, you mentioned about getting recordings and I, I, I'll be honest with you. I found that I find it very hard to listen to recordings, even recordings of myself <laughs> doing interviews um, to, to get research. I think there's something that's missing when, you, when you're live with someone and you can interact with them. You don't get it as much from recordings. And so 
there's nothing we can do. We can't, you know, repeat the same interview with, with live people. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. But yeah, like it, it, like you said, you know, listening to the same recordings many times, it, it takes time. Right. And this is a thing I, I try and reinforce with people is that, you know, there's this, there's this sort of constant mantra about, you know, speed and velocity and learning fast and failing fast and all these, you know, fast, 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 fast. And, and I always say, look, you know what? You can be fast and shallow or slow and deep. You can't be mm. fast and deep. Right? Like, and deep insights don't come from doing things fast. Deep insights take time. But once you get those deep insights, right, once you come across them and you can really leverage them, they pay dividends for a long time. They, you know, like as an example, and you're, we're, we're talking about Google, right? The the sort of page rank, right? From from right. way way back, the original page rank. It was like, hey, yeah, you know what? We we realized that academic articles that are cited a lot are much more authoritative, and you know that makes sense because you know people reference them and, and view them in a positive way. Let's let's kind of apply that to the web. You know, who's linking to things more? I mean, you know, I'm not saying that was a crazy deep insight, but I think that's, you know, a pretty, pretty interesting insight because other companies weren't doing that. And and that propelled Google, you know, for a long time. And they, they built on it, obviously, over the years. But but these deep insights come rarely. And when they come and you 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 spend the time to understand them and, you know, uh, evaluate them properly and maybe expand on them. Uh, you you can win big in markets, and and I always try and sort of you know remind people of that that this is why you spend time and maybe even something you're you've you've done discovery work this year or isn't going to pay dividends this year, but you know next year you you realize hey that thing we learned about last year now we're seeing it in a different way and now we can apply it, and if you if you've done the work in a kind of deliberate way you can leverage it, right? It's not like, oh, well, we don't have notes or we don't understand what we did or we have to go talk to everyone all over again. Um, you know, th th those things build. And, and it's 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 just, to me, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it's like oxygen, you know? It's, yeah. <laughs> if, you're not going to get far if you're just holding your breath and trying to run fast. Like, you, you have to slow down and breathe. And, and I, think, I think companies need to realize that. I love that. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Said. Uh, now, where can our listeners, you know, read more about your thoughts? Oh, um, so I, 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 I blog on 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 uh, Medium, uh, although not as much as I, I I used to or I'd like. Um, I'm on Twitter, Said W Khan at, at Said W Khan, and then um, my company is called Transformation Labs. And uh, people can look at it there. It's transformationlabs.io. So just let's get the domain clear. And um, and I'm, I, I hold workshops. Uh, I'm going to be doing a bunch in, in Q1 of 2021 on on discovery, among other things, product cool. roadmapping on launch. Um, yeah, but if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I don't remember my LinkedIn, you know, Earl. But uh, yeah, we can put the link in the description. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, yeah, I'm hoping if anyone wants to connect with me and and sort of, uh, you know, talk product or talk discovery. Uh, my pin, my pin tweet on, on, on Twitter is, you know, I've been in product for 23 years. Ask me anything product. So if they find me, ask me anything. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Said, for coming on the show and talking about uh, product discovery. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I had a good time. 
that's it for this week's episode of PMH Podcast, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a five-star review. Share with your audience on social media. And if you have any suggestions, definitely reach out to me. My email is cyrus at productmanagerhub.org. Now you can get all the tips and action items of this episode for free at this bit link I'm going to give you. It's bit.ly forward slash pmhub27. Also subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss uh, any of the upcoming shows. I'm Cyrus Shirazian. And until next show, stay safe and healthy.